UX Podcast Episode 210. You're listening to UX Podcast, coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden. We are your hosts, Pat Axbom. And James Royal Lawson. With listeners in 184 countries from the United States of America to Somalia. Mark Stickdon has a background in strategic management and service design and has co-authored This is Service Design Thinking, This is Service Design Doing, and This is Service Design Methods. He spoke at From Business to Buttons 2019 with a talk, Doing is the Hard Part, How to Embed Service Design in Organizations. And we sat down with Mark in a dressing room at the conference venue Circus and talked, what do you know, service design. I like to quote a friend of mine, uh, Lou Down, um, who used to lead the, uh, the service design practice within um, the, the digital government uh, services in, in the UK. Um, and when she gets asked, like, what is service design, she likes to say, it's a design of service, and that's it. <laughs> like, yeah. There's no magic around it. That's what we're doing. Mm. And she's absolutely true with that. That's it. Um, and that's the point, isn't it? There's no magic. And there, but there's a lot of hard work. But people always want to find the magic. They always want to find, so can, can we, is there some new tool that can help us perform the magic faster? Uh, because people just don't want to do the legwork. Yeah, I got this new tool mm. in my pocket. Mm. It costs like a million. Mm. If you if you want to buy it, here it is. Exactly. It doesn't work like that. Mm. No, it is it is hard work. Mm. And particularly if you if you do service design to really have an impact on on citizens, on customers, on users, it's fairly easy if you if you only do service design until you create a new journey map or a new blueprint or something like that. But that is just a tool we use, and and it, it should never be the final thing. Because if you, if you as an agency create something, let's say like a blueprint, and then you pass it over to uh, your clients, and now it's just your job, just make it real, mm. it will fail. I mean, that's that's really really hard to implement because the organization lacks ownership of that, and probably doing piloting you really need to work on that you need to iterate further and you only learn that when you start implementing that and that's a hard bit and you actually did say something at the end of your talk when you were getting questions on stage uh, about how design is a team sport it's actually not the job of the designer to do everything because that's just impossible it's yeah as you say it is impossible Mm -hmm. i mean if you design a house, it doesn't mean that you build the whole house with your own hands, right? I mean, you, of course you can do it, but probably it will be shitty. <laughs> and uh, I'd rather work with professionals who, mm. who know their stuff. So uh, mm. you, you need people who have done that before. Mm. So if we, if we talk about um, services, they, it, it really depends mm. on the industry, on the organization, on the product service, who actually you need in this team. Mm. And sometimes you don't know that in the beginning because you don't know what it is. Maybe you start with research and and you have your team for research and a core team remains throughout the project, but the wider project team changes over time depending on what you need. Mm. So at some point during prototyping, you realize it goes in a certain direction and, and you have clearance for that and you go for that. And then you need to start build your team who's actually starting implementing that and 
depending on the project, that might include architects, that might include engineers, that might include uh, coders. It depends on the project. Right. I think it's fascinating. We've, you know, we're, we're aware as designers that things need to be designed. And we're generally aware that that process isn't linear. But yet we seem to, as, as this proves, that we're, we're not really aware of the fact that our process itself is un constantly under design and needs to be designed while we're designing. <laughs> yeah. Unless I design out way too many times in that little point. <laughs> 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 I think it's it's also a difference between um, internal language, expert language. When when we take a look at at a model of a process, um, we know that this is just a model, and that actually we're jumping in between. We in the end we don't care about that because we we got to do whatever we need to do as the next step. So I think among experts, these models work because we we know it's just a framework for us. It gives us a bit of guidance. The problem is if someone who doesn't know that yet takes a look at this process, they look, all of them look very similar and, and they all look very linear. And, and it doesn't matter if it's, if it's a circle because in the end a circle is just a linear process uh, bent together, right? Yeah. But it's, it's still a linear <laughs> process. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why you have this, this misconception and even though you stress it out when you're talking that design is iterative and so on, it doesn't mean something to people if they didn't went through that themselves and they didn't experience the power of actually going back. And just this notion of going back already shows the problem of that. Because mm. when you say we need to take a step back, we need to go back in the process, mm. it feels like a failure because you're not progressing, you're going back. And that's because in our mental, our mental model is, is a linear mm. process there. So if we go back, it feels like a failure. In fact, probably you saved millions because you didn't pursue a dead end. But it's, it's hard to talk about that. And that's why um, I, I really think the only way to learn that is by going through a design process. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really, really happy to see that design in whatever form and whatever label is now getting more and more part of... Um, of university curricula, of MBA programs, of professional education, even of high school curricula. So I, I live in Austria. Mm -hmm. Austria was the first country worldwide that put service design into the national high school curricula. Oh, wow. It's uh, one stream of schools, and their students at the age of 15, 16, learned service design for a whole year. Fantastic. That's, that's yeah. fantastic. Because mm. once you, you went through such a process... Even if it's on a, on a high school level, mm. of course not as sophisticated as, as in we do in, in a professional um, way later. But you get a feeling for first what you can accomplish and how do you do that, that you really need to understand users, that you need to prototype, you need to change your prototypes and adapt it. And the second learning is regarding entrepreneurship because the students have to make a service real. So that means that I understand that all the environment around them has been designed by someone, mm. and you can actually change it. So that's a great power, I think. Yeah. Mm. That you, yeah, you're making them aware that so much thing, so many things they come into contact with on a daily basis aren't just magic. No, and that's an important and, and step to, to take and, and understand that it, mm. it, someone has considered aspects of all these things around us. Or not. Or not. Yeah. I mean, yes. every, everything is designed. Or a, or yeah, exactly. An opportunity in life to change mm. it. Yeah. Mm. Everything is designed. It, mm. It's just the question if it was designed co cautiously or mm. consciously. 
and, mm. and well or, or not consciously mm. and probably pretty shitty, but, but mm. someone took care of that. Mm. And it helps you understand then that actually if somebody didn't take care and understand everything before building it, maybe I can do better and build a better product. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something you, a point you made in your talk as well, that we are really bad at the implementation phase, about talking about the implementation phase, about how do products succeed by having us implement them in the correct way. I, I don't want to bash it like like the whole mm. design industry, like, oh, no, we all <laughs> suck at implementation, <laughs> making stuff real. That's mm. not true. Mm. I mean, there, there's great stuff out there, so definitely we don't suck all of that. But I think when we when we talk about this stuff, we we pretty much focus on, on processes, tools, and methods, and we don't focus enough yet about the final phase of that, and which is if we take a look at um, the entire design phase until something got really implemented, it's up, it's running on a daily basis, probably talk about the first third or half part, but the second half part, actually getting it done through pilots, then iterating, is is at least as much important. Mm. We should talk just much more about it. And there are folks out there who are really, really good at that. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think also that, that, that um, part of it, um, implementation, which is also uh, often considered a frustration by designers rather than um, an opportunity for understanding, is understanding the business itself mm. and, and how that process works. That a part, important part of implementation is is understanding that that marketing and sales maybe have to understand where you are, where you're going, so they can do something of their job. And then business got there, there's more going on than just your design mm. process, which is of like you say part of that process you've 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 inherited or seen with its stages. All oh, this is also that, and yeah. the support organization needs to know yeah. that there will be calls coming because people can't find anything, no matter how good of a work you did. Absolutely. <laughs> So when, yeah. you, when you think about mm. the rollout, like often mm. we, we do a prototype, we test it in, in one instance, be it in one shop, in one hotel, something like that. But then when we, when we roll it out and we, we actually spread it out across the organization, suddenly the designers who manage the whole prototyping and piloting phase are not there anymore. And that's where it gets really, really tricky because there's no one there who, who can quickly adjust it. So... A pilot is actually a prototype for implementation. Mm. So we should use and understand the pilot, let it roll without us interfering in that. Let's see how the rollout works in, in another instant, another shop, in another mm. hotel, whatever mm. we're working on, and see if it works. And tackle that again as, as research, understand where doesn't it work. So we can, again, iterate on that. Okay. So we, as a designer, don't leave too early. Try to stick with it until mm. it's... It's really out there and running on a daily basis. And I think what we we still need to improve is measuring the impact. One, one question I often get is, what is the return of investment of service design? And that is, a, uh, that is a question that is impossible to answer. So I'd like to ask back, what is the return of investment of marketing in general? Mm. What is the return of investment of management in general? What is the return of investment of design in general? It's impossible to answer. Mm. If you ask someone from marketing, what is your return of investment? They will clearly tell you, well, the most, three most successful campaigns, there was a return of investment. That's how much we spent. That's the effect of it. And we can do exactly the same in design. For every service design project, we can agree on what do we actually want to impact, measure baseline before the project, measure it after implementation when it's up and running on a daily basis. 
we know how much time we've put in there, we, how much budget we've put in there, and we can calculate the return of investment. Mm. It's just impossible to answer in general. Mm. And also, we don't need to sing that kind of pointing fingers and saying, well, you need to justify your existence. If some of this comes from it's like, well, service design, why do we need to do that? Tell me how much you can deliver to my company. Yeah. As opposed to maybe accepting that this is, this is, this is baseline work that the whole company needs to embrace rather than silo-fy or out of the silo with a budget and point it to the side. You said um, don't trust one process was something that you mentioned during the talk, um, which led on to the, the question, um, when is a process good enough? So, well, th that's the thing. You can't measure it. Right? No. You can't measure that, okay, that process is 98% uh, accurate, right? No. <laughs> it would be it's an interesting <laughs> thought, actually. Well, <laughs> I can imagine a nice slide where you say, well, no, that process, it's a 53%. <laughs> you don't want to do that. Mm. <laughs> well, it's, if, if we start a project, we probably have an ideal process in our head, what we would like to do. Um, including loads of research, including um, involving a, a huge team of experts, very diverse, and so on. And then the real-life constraints come into play, and, and mainly it's budget or time, and that restricts yourself from working in an ideal process with the ideal team. It's never ideal. So you always need to, to wing it at some point. So when you design the process itself, it's, it's a lot about understanding how much value does each of these elements actually bring to me? How much can I learn as early as possible from that? Mm. How much do I need to learn? So in, in research, um, if, we, if we argue with like the theoretical saturation, if we achieve the moment of theoretical uh, saturation and, and we know that more research doesn't really help us to learn more because we reach the status and everything... Uh, every new interview, every new observation just confirms what we already know. Or at least it seems to be too expensive to go further on. Mm. And that's the mm. question. Mm. So sometimes mm. we keep on going mm. because we think we need this to confirm our, uh, our assumption mm. because mm. having 25 interviews is not enough. It's not representative. <laughs> so to present that to management, mm. we probably need 100, 200. Mm. So let's just spend more money here. Mm. It's waste of money. Oh, imagine the costs driven by what management needs. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's part of the culture change, yeah, right? I, exactly. I work with some clients where these discussions really change. In the beginning, um, we, we always offered, after, after an explorative research, we offered to do evaluative research, a quantitative check of our findings to make sure they have the numbers and it's, it, it's accurate. Mm. Um, and in the beginning, yes, they always went for it. At some point, they realized, like, okay, we are losing a few weeks with that. We're few losing shitloads of budget. But actually, in 95%, in it confirms what we knew before. So why are we doing that? And that is, again, a sign of design maturity. When organizations realize that, management realized that, and said, okay, we, we stopped that. We, if the qualitative research is done well... And you, you follow, like, basic rules of qualitative research, like using triangulation, different methods, different researchers to level out the biases and so on. Then we can trust it because it, it, there will be more steps in the process where we see if our idea is really working or not. 
or if that is really a user need. If, it, if it's not, we might lose a few days because mm. then, then we go on and prototyping in one direction that doesn't work, but at least there we're going to learn that it doesn't work. So the higher the design maturity, the more management will be also on the side. And I hate this fight between design and management mm. because yeah. if you have a higher design maturity, it's not a fight. But designers can help management a lot and vice versa. Management can help designers. I was thinking if, we, if, that's, if that's more kind of what the high level of design maturity is, what are the telltale signs that you're at the low level, even though you think you're working with service design? Are yeah. there any kind of telltale giveaways? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot who that was, but a story um, someone told at, uh, at the Doers conference last week in Budapest um, was that um, he went uh, as an agency to a client and asked them, so uh, they called it design thinking. So I heard you, you practice design thinking. Um, do you do that? Oh, yeah, twice a week. <laughs> Right. <laughs> what does that mean, right? <laughs> um, it's, so often it is how people actually embrace it mm. and, and how they talk about that. If it's still design, especially under the, the framework of design thinking, which is, mm. which is highly oversold by many consultants now as a one-hour ideation session using post-it notes, mm -hmm. um, if they still understand design as that, like it's, it's a creative process. It's mm. only about creating ideas. For me, that's, that's showing and reflecting that we're still having a low design maturity. The higher we go up, the more people understand mm. the value of research and prototyping. And for mm. me, these two elements are, are much more important than ideation. And if you then understand that prototyping is not just about uh, creating one wireframe or one cardboard prototype mm. but actually it is an iterative process in itself starting with low fidelity prototypes mm. developing into high fidelity prototypes into contextual prototypes that you can text, uh, test with real users with real employees then moving on into piloting where you actually prototype the launch phase and so on then you're reaching more maturity so it depends a little bit on how they talk about that where you get a good gut feeling of where they are right mm. now because that's the whole point, isn't it? That because prototyping is research, prototyping is ideation. Because it's not linear, all of the process steps are constantly ongoing. Correct. And that's what you need to understand. So it's not like, oh yeah, we did this research phase, and now we stop interviewing, and then we go on to this. No, we, the next step is also about research and learning. Uh, yeah. So it's constant. Yeah, you might not research mm. problems anymore, mm. but research uh, the future, yeah. research solutions. Yeah, but it's all research. So nothing ever way. stops, and even what you have, whatever you implement is a prototype for whatever comes next. Yeah. I, was, I was once, that's, that's many years mm. ago, I was invited to, um, to a project, and um, they actually planned their research with a gunshot. So they, they had a daily stand-up where they talked about the different research methods in the morning, and and what was their the goal, like 500 interviews and 250 home visits and so on. And they checked like how many else they needed. They didn't even look at the data yet. They were just collecting, collecting, because in the gun chart, the first phase was data collection. The second phase was oh. data analysis. Um, so they were just collecting, yeah. collecting, collecting many mm. different methods, a mm. huge team. It was, it was massive. Mm. But then they were drowning in data. Mm. And that's because they they didn't understand the iterative process of design, but they understood the model. They took it and then they said, let's make it real. Let's lose many methods so we can triangulate and all that. 
but they lost the key power of design, which is iterations. Mm. So when, when you then actually slice the data and looked at the data of, let's say, the first week, all the rest of the data collection was actually useless because it just confirmed what they knew. They could have changed the research question to learn more, to dig deeper in certain aspects or whatever, but they were just confirming what they knew. So it was a, a huge waste of, of money and time, actually. Mm. I mean, is that, is that a similar kind of thing as well to when you you create a, a, a very detailed um, journey map as a, as, a, as a starting point of the process? Like you're, yeah. you're, you're locking yourself in to a very detailed artifact when you should actually be still opening yourself up to... to um, to, to learning, to what's going on. Yeah, th- that is something which is really, really close to my heart. Um, so I, I stopped doing projects about five years ago because I started a software company uh, to uh, develop software for service designers. And our key product is an, a web-based software to do journey maps. And the whole idea of that is to free designers from investing a lot of time to creating beautiful deliverables, um, but rather have a very simple or rather simple uh, solution, which still includes all the information that you need, mm. but suddenly it becomes accessible to the wider organization. Because if you if you look how these beautiful artifacts are made, they're often made in InDesign or mm. similar tools, which means they're not accessible for anyone mm. else in the organization. Mm. They're very exclusive. So others can't change it. They can't add to that. And that's why the most used software to do journey maps in organization is Microsoft Excel. Mm-hmm. It's the most used software. The second most used software is Microsoft PowerPoint. Yeah. I use PowerPoint. There you go. <laughs> so th- the reason for that is accessibility. Mm. They don't need to be perfect. They need mm. to be accessible. So that was, was kind of my mission then, to create something which is both accessible and looking good enough so we can actually work with that. Mm. And, and I think we should not waste time in creating beautiful deliverables with the only exception that at some point it might be useful as a communication tool mm. and the, for the wider organization, for example. But that's the only occasion when a beautiful artifact makes sense. Mm. For the design process itself, it doesn't need to be beautiful. If you build a house, it's important that the house is beautiful, but the hammer that you use to build this house can look like shit. You mm. don't care about <laughs> that. It just needs to work. Yeah. Exactly. You, you, don't, you shouldn't. You, we don't want to be precious about mm. the, the the tools we're using on our own journey to to help create something. Mm. It just needs to work. I think it that's an excellent ending point. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining Thanks. us, Mark. Thanks for having me. Thank, Thank you. you. It was fun. So I really liked this interview. I, I really liked how laid back Mark was, and I really liked how he, in the beginning, said. It doesn't matter what you call it, uh, because to be honest, sometimes I grow really, really tired of this uh, dichotomy between uh, UX and service design. And people say, "Well, you're in UX, you don't understand service design, or UX is part of service design." No, uh, service design is part of UX. Uh, for me, I, I coming out of a background of usability and interaction design, the reason UX even became a term is because we wanted to incorporate all the touch points of a service. So for me, UX has always been what service design, uh, service designers claim service design to be. So why even argue, really? So I, sh- <laughs> I shouldn't <laughs> put fuel on the fire either. either. But it's just, it's about problem solving, right? 
It's about design. Uh, yeah. It's what you said to me uh, when we were watching it. It's just design. It's just design. But I think mm. I think what you're saying is quite right. And isn't this connected to um, like spheres of influence? You know, when, back in the day when you were doing interaction design, uh, you, you felt the need to to broaden your spheres of influence, and that involved user experience design coming in closer contact with the the user with the testing the research and then mm. service design i think is is a, a further expansion of those spheres of influence that you want to go beyond um that particular user experience and into um the the workings of the company and and the and the wider spectrum of um, interactions that a, a, a customer or an individual needs to to make to to complete what they need with your service, right? But then you also have uh, UX strategy, which is, claims to do exactly that as well. And then you have someone coming along and saying, "So it's circular design. We're taking into account everything outside the company as well." Uh, and people are tr- trying to claim all these areas. It's just, aren't we just trying to help each other out? Think, uh, aren't we just after the same? Yeah, thing? Yeah, but they're they're all kind of doing the same thing, aren't they? They're trying to mm-hmm. they're trying to expand beyond one box into another box and using mm. and and using terminology to help make that jump yeah you're probably I right mean, but you're right i mean it can be frustrating at mm. times when it starts to be a um, my box my is better than your box because then we're back to the silos mm. again but you know there's good intentions there and there are you're right and, and and what mark says is don't even use this terminology find out what what terminology the, the people you're working with the client uses and use that don't get uh too attached to whatever you're doing and and say that you're doing this because what you are doing is trying to get a beneficial outcome for you if you're working at the company for your client if you're working for a client it's the outcome that matters not the name of the process along the uh, way. That's excellent. You mentioned that because mm-hmm. uh, Mark says in his talk um, um, about like ideation and, and workshops, which are for many, mm-hmm. as he mentions in our interview, that um, in, in the less mature end of the scale, then just doing an ideation workshop is kind of the level you're at uh, before you yeah. move up to more mature ways of working. And, and he mm-hmm. says in his talk about how that is overrated and, and we should... We should do more of the kind of. Um, I think he uses the phrase um, um, always. Well, he says always start with a shitty first draft, and that that um, mm. a shitty first draft or a very a very rough first draft. If we want to tone the language down just slightly, then um, that mm. frees us from perfection. And mm. and um, in Mark's in Mark's talk, he actually then shows a slide um, of his firstborn child. Oh yes, and and the first and Mark's child is wearing a T-shirt that actually says "shitty first draft" on it. Mm. Um, and yeah, well, we we can talk to to, to Mark in. Well, actually, no, we can talk to Mark's child in fifteen years' time and yes, and ask about the the psychological damage that T-shirt and picture <laughs> did to him or her. I actually just I'm afraid mm. I don't know the gender. Um, but but it's a good it's a good point that you know mm. even using your own child to 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 push the point that you know. Free yourself from perfection. Nothing's ever going to be perfect, um, uh, and and really being and and bringing that up and talking about that, saying this is just a, a first version, and we you know we're going to learn something from this. I think that is mm. a very healthy thing to say. Yeah, don't sit around talking about. It. Just get something out there. Get something that we can get feedback on, and that will be helpful. Uh, and because what he also says is nothing is ideal. Uh, we have all these high and mighty ideas of how UX and service design work should be done, and we see at these conferences how it should be done, 
and then reality hits. Uh, it's impossible to do it exactly the way we want it to. And instead of complaining, just accept and move from that reality. Uh, use it to your advantage. These shitty first drafts are an excellent idea for that. And just accept that they are not the best first drafts. They are something to learn from. So, and also, I mean, your own work process should always be under scrutiny. We're, we're talking to, to Mark here about there are different ways to solve the same problem. Find different ways to, to approach whatever you're trying to do. Mm. You, will, you know what outcome you want. Brainstorm around how you're going to reach that outcome. Mm. Oh, you think you know what outcome you want. Sometimes even that changes. Yes. But, but the, um, um, mm. Mark uses in his presentation the, um, that design squiggle mm. uh, by Damon Newman. Um, which starts mm. off you know, really messy, you, you know, the, it's going all over the place, and then the idea is as time goes on, the the squiggle squiggles less, and eventually yeah. um, becomes a flat line, implying that you've 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 worked everything out, you've come to a conclusion. Whereas Mark says, mm. um, no, that isn't reality. Reality is it actually stays as a squiggle. And and the squiggle maybe kind of mm. becomes less squiggly, but sometimes it has kind of loops again and kind of like blips up, mm. and circles around itself. It does actually stay messy, and I think I think yeah. that version of the design squiggle that Mark shares mm. um, is is actually a more healthy one to show because it, it reminds you that you're always on kind of a draft. You're always on a you're always you're always learning from what you're doing to make the next version better. Exactly. It's never going to be completely flat and completely perfect. And something else he touches upon, upon speaking of fights, <laughs> he, he talks about fights between design and management. And we hear about this sometimes. And I'm, I'm, I'm starting to realize, listening to Mark, that it's, it's just a fight between egos, isn't it? Because it's the same thing there. We want the same thing. Why are we fighting? P- because both parties have an idea of the right way to do things. Instead of agreeing upon the outcome, we're trying to fight over who gets to do uh, whatever artifact or delivery we're talking about. Mm. Oh. We need to we need to move beyond that. We need we need to understand that what where design and management are the, are one <laughs> and together uh, something that helps solve the problem. Yeah, and, and, and well, as we know, the way, yes, it's egos, mm. but it's also um, people. People have established ways of doing things or ways of thinking, and you know, if if you're working a certain way in management or you know, well, planning, business planning, um, business strategy, and then mm. um, a designer comes along and and kind of turns the world upside down, um, depending on mm. how that's communicated to the to the business or, wor- mm. or work together with the business, you're gonna mm. you're gonna have a you could have a rough journey and some people do have really rough journeys because they're already frustrated and they they clash them with the business rather than working with the business to achieve a new Mm. um, positive outcome together exactly because i can i can understand Um, from a management perspective that it's hard hard to actually uh, understand uh, when designers come and say that this isn't working and it's it sounds to them perhaps that it's like it's not working because we did something bad. But instead, approaching that as, here is something we can improve, not something that isn't working. Yeah. Um, should, we, should we share um, all 12 um, commandments about service design that Mark um, had in his presentation? Go ahead. Do you, do you want, to, do do you want me to read all of them? Because I don't, I don't have them in front oh, of Oh, in me. that case, you've got no choice. <laughs> I'm going to have to um, read no. them out, aren't I? 
So here they are, 12 points about um, service design. Um, one, call it what you like. Use the language you want to use. Two, make shitty first drafts. Three, you are a facilitator. Four, doing not talking. Five, yes but, and yes and. Be careful, um, though, because yes and... So yes, but can close conversations down. I'm ad-libbing a little bit here from my notes. Um, six, find the right problem before solving it right. Seven, prototype in the real world. Eight, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Nine, it's not about tools. It's about changing reality. We are change agents, not creators of beautiful tools. Uh, I've, lost tra- I've lost track of which number I'm on. Um, do you know what number I said? No, I, I know. No I'm going gonna, gonna to say 10. Um, plan for iteration, then adapt. Um, 11, zoom in and out. And 12, it's all services. Society's a total service system. Don't tell me off if I got the wrong numbers there. <laughs> um, At first, when I, when I heard them, uh, and also we should mention, like, like Mark himself, that these are not his uh, invention. It was a big team of people. Who, who came together to, to uh, produce these commandments. Uh, I, I yeah, was thinking, they all did where, um, where little l- video clips and things, didn't they? Yeah. Where is listening in all this? And then I realized, I think it's number three or four or something around there, that it's facilitation. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a really big part of this, to understand that as designers, we have to be facilitators. We talked on the show before, we have to be coaches. We have to be the people who help the rest of the organization understand how design thinking helps us uh, move uh, faster and f- more forward in the right direction. Mm. Yeah, I think um, if there's one, if there's one kind of like overall summary we can we can take from from Mark's um, interview um, and and what he said in the talk, um, it's le- it's just let's stop being snobby about our design work. Yes. <laughs> Um, and he said himself, yeah, people so don't true. care about service design. They just want their problem solved. Can't agree more. <laughs> yep. So thanks for spending some uh, time with us. Uh, links and notes from this episode found as usual on uxpodcast.com if you can't find them in your pod playing tool of choice. And um, recommended listening after this. Um, uh, we're going to go for episode um, 93. Uh, where we talk, um, amongst other things, about journey mapping um, with Kim Goodwin. Um, so we can learn how to how to do that and see whether I haven't listened. But I mean, I had to listen back to the episode with um, Kim to see how it um, how it fits in with what Mark said about um, mm. um, journey mapping and and not being precious about it. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Knock. Who's there? Spell. Spell who? Okay. W-H-O. You're right. Well done.